0: What's interesting to me is when you were just talking about social media, what's the game on social media? Right. I think there's something, there. I think competition is good, but I wonder if even
1: in competition we don't develop some unhealthy cravings.
0: I've been all over the world and I can tell you that once you hit a certain point in money, I haven't seen that much of a correlation between happiness and money. Humans are amazing in our ability to explore. Mm-hmm. All these things happen that will allow you to navigate that decision and turn it into the right
1: one. That, that's it. I mean, that's what we talk about all the time. I know that when you do this type of research type book, I mean, there's there's opinion books, and, and then there's a book like this where I love, and you're, you're a guy that's known for digging. Well, how did it change? you? Journalist, professor of psychiatry, and multi best-selling author, Michael Easter is my guest. He was saving us from the comfort crisis in his last book, and now he takes on our scarcity brain. This will guarantee that you grow if you listen and do what he tells you to do. Let's go. All right, Michael, let's get right to it. So you dug into the science. That's what you're known for. Where does scarcity come from? This goes way back, you say.
0: Oh, this goes way back. I mean, we, so in the book, I asked the bigger question, which is, you know, everyone knows everything's fine in moderation. Well, why can't we moderate? Right. And it often goes back to um, how humans lived for all of time, yeah. which was in environments where everything you needed to survive and thrive was scarce. Everything mm-hmm. from food to stuff to information to even the number of people that you could influence, all scarce, all hard to find. And so mm-hmm. if you were the type of person who tried to over acquire all of those when you had the opportunity, that would give you a survival advantage and we still have that sort of old dna right. in a time where we are surrounded in an abundance of all these things we're sort of built to crave and it often leads us into right. trouble.
1: Okay, so here's what I ask you. Is it as simple as uh, the the science of there's so much that's passed down. We know this. Mm-hmm. You know more about this than I do. So the question becomes, okay, so at what point do we shift in in culture? We look at the the world at large. At what point did we not need to be acting that way, but we did anyway? And then I've got another follow up. But is there, a, is there a moment where you go, okay, we're no longer a little house on the prairie or whatever? You know, pick your time in history where things are still
0: scarce. Where was that moment? Do you know? Is there a tipping point? I think. I mean, so it's different for everywhere, depending sure, on what, what place you're looking for. But I think if you want to think about it in terms of the world and on average, I think it was about in 1970. Okay. So this is when you start to see the proliferation of, for example, uh, junk food. Mm-hmm. This is when you're starting to see um, screen time and the time that we spend engaging with digital media really start to take off. Okay. This is when uh, a lot of goods start to become a lot cheaper. You get these eco- global economies of scale. And so I think this is really when it starts in developed countries, and then it starts rippling out of the globe
1: okay so since. all right so then we're gonna to get to to more of this in a moment but let's stay here so we as a people globally during the time of of history obviously everything was hunter-gatherer and that's where the scarcity comes from is this is all passed down is it much like Uh, personality traits and everything else, and so we've just, our forefathers, ancestors from all around the globe have just passed this down generation after generation, and we have to fight this as we sit here in 2023?
0: Yeah, I think that it's all passed down. Um, At the same time, we are not a slave to it, obviously, so I like to say that, you know, if you find yourself Doing a behavior that is hurting you in the long run, whether it's eating too much junk food, whether Mm -hmm. it's um, spending so much time scrolling social media because you're concerned about, you know, your sort of status. um, It's not your problem or it's not your uh, fault Mm -hmm. because that behavior would have made sense for all of time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense today. So it is your problem to solve. It is something you're going to have to uh, work on and fix.
1: It's the default mode.
0: Yeah, it's the default mode.
1: Okay, good. So let's talk about the loop, the scarcity loop. So we understand a little bit about where it's coming from. We've all inherited this. Uh, We've also seen it. Not only do we inherit it in the DNA, but we're watching everybody model it. So it's a double dose. What does the loop look like so that we can all sit here today and go, all right, in my own life, and this is what I want you folks listening for, as Michael explains this, where is this happening for you? All right, so how does the loop work, the scarcity loop as you refer to?
0: Yeah, so first you need to know that um, the reason I started thinking about this is I live in Las Vegas Mm -hmm. and watching people get hooked on slot machines. So that is a behavior that people do over and over and over Eventually to their detriment. Right. Right. Everyone knows the house always wins. Of course. So, why do you sit on this thing and just do it over and over and over? So, this leads me to this lab in uh, Las Vegas. It's a uh, casino laboratory, fully working casino, brand new, but it's used entirely for human behavior research. Wow. So, while I'm there, I talk to a slot machine designer. And he goes, Oh, if you want to understand why people get hooked on slot machines, like, here's how it works. And I call it the scarcity loop. So, it's got three parts, and uh, the parts are one, opportunity. So, you have an opportunity to get something of value. Uh-huh. In the case of a slot machine, it's money. Two, unpredictable rewards. Uh-huh. So, you know that that thing of value will come at some point. Right. But you don't know when. Uh-huh. And you don't know how valuable it's going to be. Right. So, with the slot machine game, the real spin, you could lose, you could win a few bucks. You could win thousands of dollars
1: let me ask really quick jumping in does this release the endorphins the the expectation the possibility is that what's going on yes
0: so gambling uh the same guy told me gambling is not when you learn whether you got blackjack when the reels have fallen uh it's not when the dice have fallen it's when the dice are rolling across the table yes it's when the reels are spinning it's when the cards are coming down on the table wow. that's when um there's some biological stuff that Oh, happens. yeah, the so, anticipation yeah. is
1: unbelievable. Okay, yeah. good. All right, so, okay, keep going. So, opportunity, unpredictable rewards. And then
0: three, quick repeatability. So, okay. you can immediately repeat oh, the behavior. Oh, yeah. So, with slot machines, the average slot gamer plays 16 games a minute. Oh, my god. Which gosh. is more than we blink. Now, then you have to back up and go, okay, so, why am I talking about this in the first place? Why is this important? Well, this lab is funded by 73 different companies, and not all of them are in gambling. A lot of them are in... Big technology. So you can put this three-part system that I just laid out in all sorts of different things and get humans to repeat (laughs) behaviors that are fun in the short term, but can hurt them in the long run. Mm. So it's what makes social media work. It's in dating apps. It's in a lot of gig economy jobs. Uh, It explains the rise of sports gambling, especially that quick repeatability part. It's even in some financial apps like uh, Robinhood. Mm -hmm. Increases the quick repeatability by taking out trading fees. And now that um, what happened is basically casinos figured this out in the 1980s. There's a specific character who figured this out. And once they did that, slot machine revenues increased tenfold. They took over casino floors. And then it's almost like other companies came in and go, what's happening there? Right, How does that work? Yeah. And started um, taking the playbook from casinos and putting this loop in other products.
1: This is fascinating. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm just curious because when I go, I don't go a lot. I do love Vegas, but I I like to grind it out in the poker room because I feel like, for me, I'm a competitor. So for me, it's the competition. I have have a lot of say in poker. I don't have any say in blackjack. Yeah, you play it the way you play it. Uh, I do find it fascinating that as I'm just running through my mind here... It seems like there's a greater percentage of older people that are playing slot machines every time I'm there.
0: Is there anything to that? Uh, You'd have to look at the data. So what's happened is for a while, it was mostly older people. But they're finding now that more young people are going back to um, slot machines. And I'll tell you why the theory is. Because uh, how does social media work? I have an opportunity to get some likes and comments and status, uh, but I don't know how many I'm going to get. I could get two and that doesn't feel good i could get two million and oh my gosh i'm now internet famous my life has changed overnight and i can post and post and recheck and recheck now the thing is though is that you can't slap monetary value onto that really right so a lot of the people in the gaming industry are betting a lot on younger people who have been raised on social media uh as as being the next customers for slot machines because it's the same system but now we're playing with that okay
1: all right very interesting all right so Let's talk about why we crave. So uh, we crave more. What have you not shared already that we need to hear here? Now that we understand where the scarcity comes from, and then how the loop works, is just we're being
0: gamified essentially. Yeah. So why do we crave? What's going on there? The things that we crave. So we crave food. We crave possessions. We crave information. We crave status. all those things would have given us a survival advantage in the past, so we still crave them today. Um, so it's being put in a lot of um, sales products, basically. So a great example is uh, a lot of online retailers will use casino-like features to get you a discount. So you go onto the site, there's a spinning wheel, and it's like, spin the wheel, and I'll tell you your discount. Uh, those tactics increase conversion rates by seven-fold. Right? You just put this loop in something, and it increases the probability Mm -hmm. that that people will act. Wow.
1: Is there a huge gap between a good craving and a bad craving?
0: You know, I guess it kind of depends on what it is. You could teach yourself to crave vegetables. That doesn't seem bad, Mm -hmm. right? But I think when you look at sort of where we default, um, we do tend to default to things that today maybe aren't as good for us. Right. So we crave junk food. And the reason is because in the past, if you, if you craved calorie-dense items, if you loved the stuff that had a lot of calories, you would probably gain weight. And then when the next inevitable food shortage came, you would probably survive that. Right. So that still gets applied today to a world where we've right. got 7-Elevens and McDonald's and grocery right. stores on every street.
1: But we should be craving connection with good people, connection with our families. We should be craving good books biographies, whatever. I mean, I'm a biography junkie, so that's a biased uh, suggestion. But but, but there, it seems to me that that there are good cravings and bad cravings, yes? Yeah. So is there a big difference, in, in, in and does a good craving have the potential to become a bad craving?
0: My So I think that um, that's kind of a larger question about, like, how do we think of something that uh, would be an addiction? Right. And to me, it's really if... Um, you're taking this sort of short-term reward mm-hmm. or rewarding behavior that you, that's giving you a lot of fun in the short term, but it's causing you long-term problems. Uh-huh. That's when it starts to become problematic. Got it. All right. So having an occasional piece of cake is fine. Right. If you're having cake all the time and now you find yourself with diabetes, yeah. well, it's caused you a long-term problem and now we need to unpack that. Right. Could be purchases. Right. Right. A lot of people will find, um, we'll go on Amazon prime just cause they're bored. So like in the past, if you were bored, you would have to figure out something else to do, or you would have to get in your car and physically go down to the Target or the Walmart, (laughs) and you'd have to walk the the aisles. There were all these barriers to entries for time. Yeah, so there wasn't quick repeatability. Right. Well, now it's Amazon Prime from the couch. It's true. And you just scroll and scroll and, oh, wow, that looks like a great item. And, oh, my gosh, it's on a lightning sale. This is a limited-time deal. Oh, yeah. It expires in 25 minutes. Better buy it now.
1: Yeah, it's really true. And we found out that we were out of town this weekend at a wedding, and uh, my 14-year-old daughter ordered a uh, drink from Starbucks via DoorDash (laughs) because she can. This is her money, right? So she's going to learn some hard lessons if she keeps doing that. But I was like, you got to be kidding me. These kids... That, that's out of my mind as a fourteen year old. That doesn't that doesn't even exist. So, uh, so I want to get to this because I know you address this. Um, how do we properly analyze our cravings, like to make sure that we know? Wait a second. This is this is not a occasional piece of cake. This is deeper than the cake there's something under the craving. What did you learn? Because you went deep into this.
0: Yeah, I I did learn that a lot of times that we fall into these loop behaviors, it's often to sort of distract ourselves from some underlying problem. Now I'm going to pull up some crazy animal research. Uh, There's this guy who is named Thomas Zental. He's a psychology researcher, and he does a lot of research looking at pigeons. And this guy has basically... um, he can get a pigeon to become a degenerate gambler like very fast. <laughs> so he does. He takes these pigeons from these uh, their cages, which are these kind of small cages, and he gives them a choice of two games. The first game, um, they peck a light. Every other time they peck a light, they get a predictable amount of food, 15 units of food. The other game, it's more like a slot machine, where you know they peck, 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 nothing, uh, and then they get a win, and so they get, but they get 20 units now. If they play game one, they end up with more food over time. So that is the smart thing to do. But 97% of the pigeons, they play the game that's like a slot machine. And so why is that? So he's like, I don't know. One day he ends up putting these pigeons in this big cage that is like stimulates the wild, the wild environments that they would live in. They have to work. They have to do the work that pigeons are designed to do. They got to build nests. They go up on cliffs. They socialize a bit. They got to do the things that pigeons are just have been doing forever. Then he puts them back in the cage and gives them the option of the game that gets them more food overall, the smart one or the slot machine game. And they all start playing the better game, the one that gets them more food over time. So his idea is he then turns it right there. He goes, so when you look at humans, Hmm. when we aren't doing, um, the right work that's giving us the, an ideal amount of stimulation yes that's getting us to do the things that we are designed to do yes, we start to look for stimulation from other places. oh wow we gamble uh, we buy too much crap online, we overeat, people will do drugs they'll drink I mean there's a name any behavior that people get themselves into trouble with and it is often just because we have a mismatch with how we're living and how we're supposed to live
1: that that's it I mean that's what we talk about all the time. On this show, like if you aren't making that unique contribution that that you were designed for to where you get that healthy response, then you are going to absolutely go the other way.
0: Yeah. You're going to look for it somewhere else. Wow. And unfortunately, we live in a world where there's a million different options where you can find it of options that are not great for you. Yeah. And we've
1: also been told for generations that work is kind of supposed to suck. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, oh, just get yourself a decent salary and you hope you get a 401k.
0: Yeah, and I do a lot of traveling for my books, and I've been all over the world. And I can tell you that once you hit a certain point in money, I haven't seen that much of a correlation between happiness and money. Of right. course, you need enough that you have enough, right. that you have all your survival needs met, but the difference between you know, say $70,000 a year and $700,000, I don't see a huge difference in those groups. Yeah. Enough to be able to say seven hundred thousand dollars is one hundred percent the answer. One hundred percent. That's exactly time. right.
1: I mean, we've all heard the horror stories of of seven figure earners committing suicide, getting hooked on drugs. They're searching for something. And they're not getting it yeah. in the, in the high profile job. Fascinating stuff. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't we all need help being better? And they're great at it. You know, we all carry around a lot of stress from our family life and our professional life, and it can just hit us at the same time. Big stuff, small stuff. And we can talk to our friends, or maybe you have a great relationship with a leader at work or a coworker, but you may not feel comfortable telling them everything. I know I wouldn't. And when we keep things bottled up, it will eventually leak out, and it's really negative. But therapy, it's a safe space to get everything off your chest with an unbiased professional and figure out how to work through the stuff that's weighing you down. So if you've thought of therapy before, you're thinking about it now, please try BetterHelp. Therapy isn't just for people who've gone through trauma. It's great to build skills, to become better personally and professionally. And BetterHelp is flexible enough to fit your busy schedule because it's completely online. All you do is fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. It's time to get stuff off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel Ken okay to that end i want to talk about influence because that's one of the topics in the book um and i love how you opened it up influence has now become like you know that's a beautiful word that has so much depth to it and now it's become a title for people yeah. who have large followings on social media and and, and interestingly enough you know and again I, i'm a middle-aged guy so you know this is part of the deal but The guys that I've been able to spend time with and that I look up to in the space that I'm in don't have a big social media following. And by the way, could care less about it. Uh, Those are the men that I have been influenced by. But now an influencer is somebody who shows up and is playing a video game online. Is that the craving that everybody is looking for? Just look at me, look at me?
0: I think we... I mean, I do think that we... Did um, we do? We did evolve to crave status and influence, right? I would have given you a survival advantage again. Right? right? If you are the, if you're the leader there, that's right. You're not doing the crappy work that burns energy. That's right. You're not going on the front lines of battle, and oh, by the way, you've got people defending you, and you get, you know, you get two wives instead of one. Um. So we still have that craving today, but now with the rise of social media, to your point, you can fulfill that in something that is inherently not real. Right. right. You don't necessarily have to do anything. You can get all these literally status points. Uh-huh. We quantify status yes. on social media by just putting out a video that's better edited than the next person. Right. By doing something stupid Right. you could be like, oh I'm going to see how many hot dogs I can eat in three minutes. Yeah. Watch this video. and You can get millions of views for that and that right. gives you the artificial sense of accomplishment. It makes you feel good in the moment but it's ultimately not worth anything. So one researcher I talked to uh, whose name is Jessica Tracy, she talked about how there's two types of pride. Um, You can think about it as earned pride and unearned pride. So pride that you earn is when you've actually done something great Uh and you know it yourself. Right. Like you're like, I've accomplished something big. I feel great. Now, if other people happen to see what you accomplished, great. You get some bonus points. This is like extra credit. right? Unearned pride is when you haven't done anything, but you're boasting like you've done something great. Yeah. And I think that social media gives us a, uh, a lane, a very easily accessible, big, high-profile lane for that. Yeah. But ultimately, it tends to drive people crazy in the long run yeah. because you, in the back of your mind, you know I didn't actually earn this, and that seems to lead right. to mental health issues.
1: So I've been, I can't wait to ask you this. I've been very excited about this, as I want to know your take. Um, because as I was reading this particular chapter, um, the thought hit me, that social media and what you're what you're describing has really given us a, I think a a um, inauthentic scoreboard, right? Yeah. And so then that led me to I believe we just all want to compete. Now some some of us are way more competitive than others, right? I know people that just like forget competing. I don't like it, you know, whatever. A board game is my max, right? But even then they're just like, you know, if anybody, you know, they just don't like competing, or maybe they don't like the confrontation that comes with competing. Yeah. But I just believe we all want to compete on some level. And so social media has given us this scoreboard, but there's no actual competing, you know? It's not like we're going mano-a-mano in a sport or a board game. It's just this, here's my numbers, here's your numbers. So then it led me to to ask you this. Is competition, is it a part of our craving? Meaning, do we crave just the the act of competing or do we crave winning or is it both that's that's what i'm i'm intrigued by and we kind of touched on it early when you said it wasn't about winning the card game it was as the dealer brings the fifth card if, if we for a poker player right what's on fifth street what are your thoughts on that
0: that's a great question i haven't gotten that question um
1: so why do we want to win right I'm guessing some sense of validation, personally, at its purest, maybe? Tell me if I'm wrong. Could be a lot of reasons.
0: Right, Right, It could be that. It could be literally, there's you and I haven't eaten for a week. Right. And there's one loaf of bread. Right, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Right? So there could be some survival advantages, too. Yeah. And so I do think that there probably competition is woven into our DNA. At the same time, we're social creatures. Right. Um, What's interesting to me is when you were just talking about social media – what's the game we're competing in? Like, what's the game on social media? Right. It's just to get these random points, right? Exactly. And the problem is, is I think that that can change your behavior because you start to go, okay, if the game is to get points, I need to behave a certain way on social media to get points. So what get, what gets points on social media? It's controversy. Yeah. It's trying to dunk on people. It's being negative. Yeah. It's stupid stuff. Right that is often at odds with what you actually want to do with your life, right. right? So if you think of something like Twitter, it's supposed to be for discussion. Now, the point of a discussion is that there's a lot of points, yes. right? There's uh, to understand someone, yes. to be understood, to empathize, to commiserate, to be at, to on and on and on and on. There's like hundreds. Yes. When you put discussion on Twitter, People fall into the game of scoring points, of getting the retweets, of getting the followers. And the way you get that is often at odds with all these different goals of discussion. Changes your behavior in a way that I think can lead to what we're seeing on social media today, exactly. especially Twitter, yeah. which is uh, seems to be mecca for negativity for dunking on people yeah. for behaving in a way that we probably don't want people to behave in a working society.
1: Yeah. It's like the 1980s when I was growing up watching professional wrestling. with had the cage match and there's just people keep entering the cage out of nowhere and hitting somebody over the head. That's what social media has become. Like it started out with two people in wrestling, you know, wrestling. Yes. You know, and then they come in and it's just got crazy because I, the reason I asked you that is I, I, I think there's something there. I think competition is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I wonder if even in competition, we don't develop some unhealthy cravings, you know, versus like, I'm going to give my best and I'm going to measure myself against someone else. To me, that's a positive of competition. Mm. But when we get into, you know, craving the status that comes with the win, as opposed to just everything that went into giving my best. And if we got the win, awesome.
0: Yeah. And I think, so seeing where you fare socially like via competition i think can be good it can be informative it can also be limiting so why do they put blinders on race horses
1: to keep them focused
0: to keep them focused yeah because if you're looking at where the other horse is you slow down and you don't win the race right and so sometimes i think if you're comparing yourself to others um that can maybe help propel you in one direction but what if there's a, there was an entire world of different ways you could be thinking about the problem you're trying to solve via competition? Yes. Right? Sometimes you need to think differently to really move the dial. Yes. And this new idea you had because you weren't focused on the other horses around you, metaphorical horses, changes the game entirely.
1: Yeah. It and does. it just
0: eradicates that game because you've come up with a better idea that's going to uh, better move the
1: right. Dial. And I, so I love you brought it full circle. So that's where you got me going. I got to spend some more time with the book on the craving part and how it jacks up competition. Yeah, because I think competition is good. Yes. I haven't figured it out, but I was like, I, I just like I'm sitting there going to me. It all comes back to the very topic you spend so much time on. I think craving is where competition gets off. Yes. You know, But I, I did have to ask you this because I, I've said this. We, we spoke at the same event recently. And, and honestly, it was just one little thought. And we built, we, what, we had eight minutes. We had to share our thought. And so I was like, okay, what's this one thing? And what I'm seeing in the world of work, Michael, is, is the, the long-term effect in our society of rewarding kids for participation. Mm-hmm. And I really am seeing that because you could lose 10 soccer games in a row. And you got a trophy. So you thought, well, if I just show up and play the game, I'm going to get rewarded. And now you're in the workplace and you're genuinely, and this is not a critique, this is a, this is a, this is like, this is happening. You're genuinely upset when you don't get a raise or a promotion in the first six months to 12 months. It, it does have, and that's where I'm at on this idea of what are we craving? And then as parents and influencers, what are we giving young people to where their appetite now becomes a craving? Mm-hmm. And I, so I, that was more of a, less of a question, but it leads mm-hmm. me to this, appetite. You talk about craving. Mm-hmm. How do we, do we reset our cravings by resetting our appetites?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, so there's a, there's a great uh, quote in the book from the researcher Robert Sapolsky, and he basically said that, you know, the way we're designed, he basically said if engineers designed us as we got enough of what we needed we would want less Mm -hmm. but that's actually not the case as we get more and more we want even more and more so what happens is that you know the pleasure of today becomes a boredom tomorrow and then it's eventually going to never be enough and so we're constantly advancing the goalpost on wanting more so to bring it back to what you said about um you know participation trophies and how that's affecting the workplace I do think that if you have set a young person up to have expectations about you always get something good, you always get the reward, you Mm -hmm. always, always, always get the reward. Mm -hmm. It's like my dog giving him treats. 100%. Right? If I give him a treat every time he he sits, even if it's a half sit, it's like, uh, well, his butt just kind of dropped down a couple inches, give him a treat. (laughs) That's great. Now he just starts to kind of go, Right. Yeah. "Eh." It's, Uh it's, It's behavior seen across all yeah. species. You're going to put in the least amount of effort to get the reward. And if you're rewarding the least amount of effort, why would you ever put in effort? Mm. Like that's just just
1: yeah. only makes sense. Yeah.
0: So it really needs to be matched to rewards need to be matched to what you want it to be.
1: Yeah. Um if you and I were sitting in a room and we had a we had a, it was a room full of whiteboards and for a day you and I got to uh think about this idea of influence and craving influence, but what is a if i could use the phrase a pure craving for influence and i said all right write it up there michael what do you define a pure craving for influence how would
0: you define that pure meaning beneficial
1: good good whole healthy whatever you want that's what i mean by pure meaning at this point i'm craving influence but this is good in this this is what you would define as healthy influence something that you should Influence this way. Crave this as we put the word influence over it. What would that this be?
0: Now, I'll answer this question by first saying it becomes harder to measure. Mm-hmm. But to me, it is, you know, influences the ability to affect the behaviors of others. Yes. So if you are affecting the behaviors of others in a way that improves their life. Yes. That improves society. That's good. Yes. Now, that's also harder to measure. Right. Right. Um, I'll give you an example of me. It's how does my publisher measure my success as an author
1: book sales book sales yeah
0: easy to measure very easy very easy to measure yeah why do i write books
1: because you want to help people change their life
0: right so how do i measure that well, that's really hard
1: right unless you get some emails or a phone call you see them at a book signing yeah.
0: that's yeah. exact and that's exactly it right and so i think that you need to um keep your eye on why you're doing this in the first place and for me it's to help people so getting those messages and getting those emails and details about how you are helping people. I, I think helps you keep your eye on the ball. I mean, it's like everything you guys are doing here, mm-hmm. the Ramsey network, you can measure it in all the, the amount of people watching, but at the same time you're not just doing it for the ratings figures, right? That's you're exactly doing right. it because you want people to right. take these behaviors that right. do improve their lives and help them to live freer That's and better. Right. And, um, maybe it's even if you think about it in terms of building a business it's like well how can we how can we build that feedback in so we're getting sort of that reward that pushes us forward to keep doing the things that are most useful for people
1: yeah yeah i love that um all right i want to switch, i want to cover an, another thing you talk about and that's the exploration gene
0: yeah.
1: uh this to me is is there's a lot of light bulbs in the book this is a big light bulb for people and and i think it again the spirit of adventure You know, tell us what you learned because it's pretty fascinating.
0: So here's what I'll say is that humans are amazing in our ability to explore. Mm -hmm. Full on amazing. There's no other creature. I mean, we took over the world in like 50,000 years. Oh, yeah. We go into outer space. Mm -hmm. We go into the deepest trenches of the ocean. We go set up stations at the North Pole. Right. We're thinking about Mars. We're thinking about Mars. (laughs) It's it's madness. And so why is that? because it's inherently rewarding for us Mm -hmm. to go, you know what, I wonder what's on the other side of that hill because maybe it's greener grass, right? We're always wanting to go take the next step to see if we can improve our life. And I think that is a good thing. Now, if you think about um, exploring in the past and getting information, you had to go uh, on foot to get it, right? So you're going through nature, you're moving, you're doing all these important things that are good for your health. And you didn't know what you were gonna find. It was Mm -hmm. like a gambling game, right? Right, yeah. Could be worse. That's exactly right. Could be the same, could be better. Mm -hmm. I hope it's better. Yes. Um, I think the way that we as humans explore today has changed in a way that maybe isn't good for us. In the sense that now, if I have a question, uh, I don't have to go to the source. I don't have to read a primary source. I can just Google and get this like mm-hmm. answer that may or may not be right. Correct. If I want to go into uh, an experience, I can change that experience by looking it up beforehand. So a good example of this is restaurants uh-huh. or watching a movie. Like when is the last time you just went into an experience totally cold? The internet has allowed us to go on Yelp and be like, Oh, well it only got this many stars. Right. and like, right. You know, uh, yeah. John C nine, nine, nine said that the fish point. was too dry and it, it immediately affects our opinion, It affects your opinion. It affects your experience. Wow. You don't get this new, totally exploratory yeah. experience. And that's ultimately what humans find rewarding is seeing, you know, being totally blind to know what's going to be on the other side, going into this experience, going, I'm going to explore this thing. I'm going to see what I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. That is ultimately more rewarding. Mm-hmm. Even if you go, okay, that restaurant we're going in there. Yeah. We're just going to, we don't know anything about it. Yeah. We're just going to order whatever. Um, even if the food isn't good, at least now, you know, you've had a new authentic experience. Right. And by the way, if it is good, uh huh. you've just found the secret gem. Don't tell anyone about right. it. Right. Because that course. is yours now. Of course. Forever, right? <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> but good. it's not just restaurants, of course. It's, right. it's movies. It's going to travel destinations. It's, right. you know, so many people will plan every second of their vacation. It's like, you're in a new place. Go see, like, Right. go different places. Like, wow experience it in the present
1: yeah and we're not doing enough of that no and then that and that's what you assert um okay i want to put myself on the spot because i don't mind it because i also want to learn okay. okay so don't let this make you too terribly uncomfortable um i i was thinking about cravings i was like okay let's get real mm-hmm. like what do i really crave all right like real 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 um i i don't struggle with substances thankfully mm-hmm. uh I crave affirmation. Mm -hmm. And without unpacking my whole journey, uh, didn't get it from a key figure in my life, Mm -hmm. uh, shaped me tremendously. You know, I don't care about all the person, I got all the personality profiles and they all lead to one thing. I'm a performer and I need attention. Mm -hmm. And I crave it. And it's something that's there. Uh, Certain times of life, I'm healthier on it than others. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest, certain points of a day sometimes. And so I don't mind being transparent here. Um, so, what you've learned about craving? What would you say to me if, let's say, we're buddies and, and I want I want you to take on the role of a close friend, where you could just say exactly what you felt you needed to say. And I, I, because I, I struggle with it, mm-hmm. I crave it, I crave it in different areas. I crave it. So I'm in a public role. I've been blessed. They just put me on a massive platform. I crave it there. I crave the book sales. I crave whatever. But I crave relationship. I got great guy friends in my life, but I crave. That sometimes in ways, my wife, my teenagers, good Lord, man, I'm struggling right now as a father of three teens.
0: That sounds hard. It's yes. really
1: hard, mm-hmm. really hard. Uh, so talk to me, walk me through this.
0: Here's here's what I'd say everyone craves affirmation of, to of some course. extent. Of course, of right? course. I think I crave it way too much. Yeah. So <clears throat> this reminds me of, uh, there's a chapter in the book on certainty, mm-hmm. how we want to know yes. whether or not we're doing the right thing. That's right. We want certainty. Yeah. Right. So, the worst thing that can happen to us is if we just go, Yeah, I don't know. There's Mm -hmm. like this gray area. We hate the gray. We want things black. We want things white. Yes. So, when we do anything, if we don't get this feedback that's very clear, it's uncomfortable because we're like, Did I do the right thing? Where do I stand? Did I do the right thing? Yeah. There's this amazing, there's this crazy study where uh, people chose to receive an electric shock rather than sit and have to wait for a while and have a 50-50 shot at being shocked. So they're like, just get it over with. <laughs> oh, because sitting and being uncertain <laughs> right. is actually worse than the shock. Mm. And so when I think about affirmation, you're getting certainty, right? Yes. So someone says, you did awesome on this. Hey, you did great on this. Right. Hey, your ratings have come in, they're looking great. Right. That gives you this, oh, okay. Right. Ah doing the right thing and that feels good and I think we all everyone craves everything we've talked about Mm. but it's kind of like you know uh like a soundboard dial some people have certain levels dialed up other people have others and it often to your point it goes back to um how we were raised all these environmental things of course yeah um But at the same time... um, How do I change it, Michael? Well, I think there you need... It's not easy. I know, I know. How
1: do you like those big questions coming your way? Yeah. (laughs) It started out as not enough praise or whatever or some negative feedback, and then that began to create this craving for just where do I stand? I wanted it to be this type of standing, but now I think it has permeated me to where it's just standing in general. And we all want that. So, I mean, it's not like I'm isolated here, but there is a nice connection for me there. Yeah. So it's getting below the surface. And in, in the book, you talk about escape, certainty, influence, food, stuff, information, happiness. And so I've taken you to what we do now. And that's been very helpful for me. So I need to get to a place where I, I've got to be okay not knowing.
0: Yeah, it's ambiguous. There's it's a,
1: that simple. Am I right?
0: Yeah. i got to develop a muscle for that. Right. There's a quote in the book that, I mean, really just did a lot for me personally. Um, I found this book at this, uh, it was a Catholic bookstore in the mountains of New Mexico. And uh, it's just, there's all these books on the shelf. And I pull out this random book and it's written by A. Monk is the author byline. Didn't use his name. Yeah. Written in the 1800s. The person was living in a cave and It's, you know, it's maybe a hundred something page book, but there's a line in there where he talks about these themes. Like we're never going to know that life is ambiguous. Um, And it's kind of an abyss. Life can be an abyss. There's like hardship. You don't know like if you're doing the right or wrong thing, but by not just being willing to go into that, you're missing a lot. So he wrote, you risk so much by hesitating to fling yourself into the abyss. And I've always thought about that where you have uncertainty, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to be okay with that. I'm going to go ahead with this thing, even though I know I'm not, I know I'm not going to get this perfect answer around it. I know I need to do this slightly difficult thing, even if it's not like perfectly scored or I'm not going to have like, yeah, you did great, you know? And, um, I don't know. That's just really affected my, how I view, how I view everyday things, big things, small things all these kinds of things.
1: And I, I did a quick follow-up here. You really do reveal in the book, I mean, there is a way to under, once we understand these cravings, there's a way to rewire our cravings. Yes. Do you mm-hmm. come away from this research in this book feeling positive, feeling hopeful? Yeah.
0: Well, so I think there's two sides to that. So on one hand, uh, technology is making this scarcity loop even yeah. better over time, yeah. which is a little bit scary. At the same time, We know how to get out of it, and we've known since the 50s. uh, You can change or remove any one of the three parts in whatever behavior Mm -hmm. uh, a person is doing and uh, that you're doing to excess, and that'll usually reduce the frequency of the behavior. So, for example, if you can just slow down a behavior, like the example I gave with shopping. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, in today's age, you don't have to buy everything on Amazon Prime. If you want something, be like, okay, I'm going to put it on a list, and next time I go to the store, I'll get it then. And you might even find that by the time you get to the store, you're like, do I really actually need this thing I was planning to buy? Mm-hmm. You know, so just slowing down the frequency that you can repeat a behavior, changing why you're doing it in the first place. Um, all these things, I think, can can help us.
1: What did you personally walk away from? Uh, did, did it change you? Did this book change you in any way?
0: Oh, totally. Yeah,
1: a lot. Um, Share maybe one thing that maybe uh, that you didn't expect, or I don't even care. I just want to know how it changed you because I... I I know that when you do this type of research type book, I mean, there's there's opinion books, and and then there's a book like this where I love. And you're you're a guy that's known for digging.
0: How did it change you? I think it um, I think it made me more aware of my everyday behaviors and ask why I'm doing this thing in the first place. Yeah, you know, so whether it be uh, I don't know, spending too much time on like social media or something. Sure, I can now go. Oh, I'm doing this because. I was stressed out, and this is like a just an escape for a while. Or yeah. I was bored, but is there another way I could spend my boredom? And also realizing that you know, when like I said before, it's like when you do a lot of these behaviors, uh, it's not necessarily your fault because we are sort of wired to crave and wired to fall into these behavior patterns. Uh, but it is your problem to solve. Mm-hmm. And so I also, I have to take agency. One thing I learned about in this book is that I think that humans, uh, have far more agency and are far more capable of change. Yes. Than we realize, despite many current cultural narratives that tell us like, you know, you're this way and this is who you are. And this means that you're going to do this and right. be this. It's like, no, you can reinvent yourself on a dime. It just depends on what story am I going to tell myself about the situation that I'm in.
1: Wow. I love it. Good stuff. Well, uh, a final word uh, and I love to do this. love to put you in the position of people that are listening to this are they listen to the show because they want more influence. I believe in a positive way they want to make that contribution that they believe they were born to make and maybe they're in a season of frustration maybe they're just uh they, they just feel like maybe they're craving the wrong stuff and and as a result maybe that's playing into their frustration uh they're not where they want to be there's a gap. what would you say to them?
0: people are capable of far more yeah. um, than they realize, right. uh, but it ultimately takes action. And one of the things that gets people stuck is mm-hmm. going back to that thing we were just talking about with certainty. Yep. We will sit on home base going, should mm-hmm. I go to first or should I go to third? Yes. Or do I just run up the middle and go to second? <laughs> and right. we will sit there That's right. for days and weeks and years and decades. Eventually you just gotta, you gotta wow. pick one. Because the reality is, is that once you start running, you learn to run better like you all these things happen that will allow you to navigate that decision and turn it into the right one
1: yeah i love that you know in the subtitle it, it finishes by saying to thrive with enough and i can't help but think that a big part of you and what you're doing is is for people to just realize that they are enough
0: yeah i mean yeah I think so. I mean, Absolutely. I just think it, Everyone is. Yeah,
1: yeah, I love what you do. This is great work. Scarcity Brain is the book. Fix your craving mindset. Rewire your habits to thrive with enough. He is Michael Easter. Uh, by the way, I'd love to do a deep dive on the comfort crisis, but uh, that's for another time. Incredible work that you're doing, my friend. Uh, and, and, and thanks for speaking so honestly today. This is going to help a lot of people. Thank you for being with us.
0: Well, you too. Thank you very much. You bet.
1: Hey, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Michael Easter. If you did, would you give it a like? Would you subscribe? And hey, maybe share it with somebody that you think will be better because of it. We'll talk to you soon.